We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, welcome into another edition of Buzz Beat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie going solo today, and I hope everyone is doing well. I'm live this Sunday morning, hours before the game against the Suns, a Suns team that has been very good this season, a team that earlier had won 18 games in a row, a team that plays well on both ends of the court. What could possibly go wrong for this Hornets team tonight? We will definitely see, and I may jump on Twitter Spaces again to recap that game and maybe attach it to the end of this recording and make it a full podcast. Interestingly enough, the Suns team is fifth in the NBA in pace, which is a dramatic turnaround from last season when they were 25th in pace. So it could be a very up and down game tonight in Phoenix. Before we get into this, I do want to remind everyone that hasn't done so that we love a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, it seems that our Spotify users now have that option to leave a five-star rating. It does make a huge difference in helping the pod get a little bit more exposure. I am not a Spotify user, so I'm not exactly sure if it gives you guys the ability to leave a review. But if you guys do leave a review, as always, if you guys want to DM us, your review, whether that's Apple Podcast or Spotify, uh, we will give you guys an invite to our Slack channel. So what we're going to do here is just uh, go through some Q&A questions that I got. Uh, the first one is from Maxton NMN Artist, who's actually in the Twitter spaces right now. What do you think this team, or what do you think the ceiling for this team is in terms of seeding for the playoffs? And we do have a lot of basketball left to play. I think the highest I could see them making, just realistically speaking, might be the sixth seed. I don't predict that's where they're going to end up. There's no way they're getting in the top four. Uh, that's going to be reserved for the Nets, the Bucks, the Bulls, and probably the Heat or the Cavs, uh, but probably the Heat, I would think. And then the fifth seed is where it gets interesting because it could be the Cavs. They feel like the story of the East this year, uh, no one could have predicted how well they've been playing 
been so good on defense. Jared Allen has been awesome. Mobley has been awesome, making an impact for this team as a rookie, especially on the defensive side of the court. And I believe he just entered the health and safety protocols recently, if I'm not mistaken. But I think Philadelphia ultimately gets the fifth seed. And then obviously you can't forget about the Hawks and the Celtics making a late push. So it's still early in the season, Maxton, but I would say that the ceiling is probably the sixth seed. And I think from now until the end of the season in game 82, there's going to be a lot of fluctuation and and teams jumping up and down and back and forth. I think they do finish like eighth though. Like that, that's my prediction. And that was my preseason prediction. Six just seems too high for me right now with all their injuries and health and safety protocols and like the the road trip that they're on now, it's hard to have optimism, but we've got a lot of games left. Now, if you want to look on the positive side for the Hornets, the schedule actually should ease up a little bit. I actually took a note of this in terms of their home-to-road splits. In the new year, they have 28 home games compared to just 18 on the road. And just as importantly, they only have one road trip that is of three games or more um, after December. And so they're currently in this six-game road trip, but there's only one of those that actually ends up being three games, and that's from late March to early April. Anything anything else like that is just like a two-game road trip at most. So according to Dunks and Threes, if you guys don't subscribe to it, it's a pretty cool website, they've played the eighth toughest schedule as well in the NBA. So they've had to deal with a lot, COVID issues, long road trips, and they've kind of managed to stay in the thick of it all. But do I think they're going to finish sixth? No, but that's probably where they could end up. So, Max, and I'm going to let you uh, join in here and, and give me your thoughts. Do you think that they can finish as high as sixth? Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, I, I mean, the problem is everybody is uh, all replaced with the idea of where this team is going to go. That's why I asked what, the, what would be a good spot because some people think it's time to not so much blow it up but retool, and some people are like, keep it like it is and let it ride out. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I I say keep it like it is and ride it out because I still think with the team that they have now, they can make the playoffs. I think the goal would be try to make the playoffs without having to go through the play-in. But if that's the case, then you might have to go out and make a move at the deadline to get someone like a Miles Turner. But I I think with the team that they have now, the way that they're playing, I think they're going to be able to gel a little bit more, you know, probably in January, February, March. I think that's when um, this team is going to kind of push a little bit more for the playoffs. Now, hopefully that they don't let this stretch that they have right now affect how they play, you know, in January and February, because I don't think that they're going to win tonight against Phoenix. And then they've got a couple more games against the jazz. Who's the other one on this West coast trip? Uh, They go to Denver. Denver. Yeah. They go to Denver on on Thursday before they come home. Well, Wednesday. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. They, they probably will be under 500 after this road trip if I had to bet. So, and then you had a follow-up question. Can this team make to the second round of the playoffs? Do, do you think they can Maxton? Um, I think it's the matchup. Uh, the biggest issue is that yeah. if they like a Philly, um, maybe <laughs> even Milwaukee, it's going to be hard for them to make it past uh, to win a game or maybe two, but they're so weird that they can usually go off and win three games and then lose four. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they've had a lot of winning streaks and losing streaks of like three or four games. That's exactly the way that I was thinking about it was the seeding and the matchup. But if you were to press me on it, do I think this team can make it to the second round? I would say it's highly doubtful. 
yeah, if it's the Bucks, if it's the Sixers, definitely not. If it's someone like the Heat, I guess, like if, if they somehow match up against the Heat, like in a 4-5 matchup, maybe. Or may, maybe maybe Cleveland does so well that they're like the, uh, the four seed or the three seed and Charlotte ends up playing them in the first round. I actually would feel a little bit more confident against them. But yeah, a lot can change between now and then. Charlotte can make a trade, but the Hornets definitely have a lot to clean up and questions to answer. I think in the playoffs, the pace obviously tends to slow down and it becomes a half-court game. And I think that's a question that you're going to have to ask of this team. Can they play in the half court on offense? Can they defend in the half court on defense? And I would say definitely no to that second question. I think in the half court, they, they can make some things happen on the offensive end. But yeah, so kind of to summarize both of your questions, I think six is the highest, but I'd guess eighth. And I don't really have a ton of confidence as of today, unless they make a move that they'd be a second round team. So I appreciate the questions. Uh, any other comments before I, I let you go here? I was just wondering if we, it's hard to put a finger on if this team is inexperienced with immaturity or they just don't want to play and how, why they're so uh, streaky because they either, they're really, really good for like a week and then they fall apart for like another week and then they come back together a week and then so on and so forth. So I just wonder what you're thinking is, is it a, maturity thing is it just them being young or is it just they just really fluky this year yeah um that's a good question i think it probably has a lot to do with the youth on this team but i I will say this like the fact that they have had these losing streaks and winning streaks and the up and down nature of this team i think it says a lot that they've gone through this and the adversity that they've had to go through to still be a team that is currently in sixth place in the East at 16 and 15. So I I think when the schedule does ease up a little bit, uh, that's going to be more of a true test. I I, I guess I would probably lean towards the youth uh, more so than anything. Uh, It sucks that they can't be consistent. It is what it is. And they're they're still sixth place in the East as of today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, so we'll go on to another question that I received from Israel his Twitter handle is at IO Handles. 
Number one, with Gordon Hayward's resurgence over the last several games, do you think any center you could get for him would be worth it? A couple things you have to be aware of when trading Hayward. You are looking at a couple things here. One, you now have to take back more players in a trade because of his salary, right? So there's not many players out there that the Hornets are going to trade for that has the same salary as Hayward. The second thing that you have to consider is his trade kicker. I keep bringing this up. When he gets traded, or if he gets traded, 15% of his remaining salary will be paid to him, not from the team that receives him, but from the Hornets. So if he were to be traded, or if he had been traded at the beginning of this year, his bonus, his trade bonus here, would be $13.75 million. And that also that number also is kind of attached or added to an outgoing salary in a trade. So that's just another obstacle when sending him out in the opposite direction. So instead of him making twenty nine point nine million, and that's the outgoing salary, when you factor in the trade kicker, it's going to be closer to thirty four thirty five million, and the Hornets will have to be taking back more players. And is there a center out there that is worth it? Hayward. I just don't see a trade that's going to be that easy to maneuver. Maybe it gets easier with a three-team trade or a four-team trade, but you really don't see those types of trades kind of in season as much. Now, if the question is strictly, do I think trading Hayward for a center is worth it? And you just take those previous things out of the equation, I'd still have to think about it a little bit. You know, maybe for a proven player that solves an obvious need like Miles Turner, I'd definitely be tempted to make that type of move. But if anyone who listens to the pod knows that I'm probably the highest out of anyone on him. Uh, love his ability to score from all over. He's char- He's been Charlotte's like best ISO player, which helps in close games. We talk about the game slowing down uh, in late game situations. We talk about the game slowing down in the playoffs. He's the guy that I would feel the most confident turning to in those types of situations. He can score on post-ups. He can play make. He's probably been Charlotte's third best player this year behind LaMelo and Miles Bridges. So I'm sure some can see a worthwhile trade out there for center. I just don't see it happening with all the obstacles that take place with his trade kicker, his salary, and all that type of stuff. And if it would be worth it in the end to send out a couple different players and receive back a couple different players. And it would probably, like I said, require a third team to kind of get him involved in a trade for a center. His second question is, how much is too much for Cody Martin in the upcoming free agency with us also having to pay Miles Bridges? So I haven't looked too hard at the salary stuff for next season, but I do know that Martin and Bridges are Charlotte's like two main free agents. I also believe that Plumlee has a partial guarantee and Ish Smith's contract is fully non-guaranteed, if, if I remember correctly. So Those can kind of clear out a little bit of space, but I don't think that's really the question. The question is, can they get off other contracts? I I think that if you are bringing back Miles Bridges, which should be priority number one, no doubt, um, it's going to be difficult to bring back Martin regardless of the money. So this is probably a question that I probably would need to answer a little bit closer to the end of the season so I can kind of wrap my mind around the details of all this. I don't really look at the uh, the free agent stuff until a little bit closer to that. So I like the question. I just don't think it's going to be possible to bring back both of these guys unless the Hornets get off some kind of other contracts in the process. So thank you for the questions, Israel. And then the third and final question here, unless we have any questions in Twitter spaces, 
is at private AB goat one. Do you think it's maybe worth waiting until the summer or until Miles Turner is a free agent to get him as PJ Washington as a four has a far higher ceiling than PJ playing at the five getting rid of him. We may lose some depth in our forwards if he carries on playing four after. Okay. So what he's asking here is waiting to make a trade or waiting for an acquisition for Turner after the season. And because he's factoring in the equation that PJ Washington might be better suited to play the four next to miles Turner. The funny thing is I actually think PJ and miles Turner are more similar in style and what they do than maybe PJ and miles bridges. Now, PJ and Turner would still work, but as we always say, Turner is not a guy that's going to pressure the rim or work as a lob threat. And that to me is the ideal pairing with Lamella Ball at the five. I just think if, if Turner is your guy and you're all in on Miles Turner, then losing PJ isn't a big of a hangup as maybe you want to make it out to be uh, because they do some of the same things on the court. Yes, Miles doesn't have the the playmaking that PJ Washington does and PJ doesn't have the true rim protection that that Miles Turner does, but they hit upon the same spots on the court. I actually think it'd be more beneficial to get Turner now. Like if if Turner's your guy and you're trying to make a push for the playoffs, I feel like this season's so weird with um, some of the teams that are playing well, like the Bulls and the Cavs and stuff like that. Teams getting hit hard with with COVID. It's going to be a jumbled mess in the East. And I think if you do bring in Turner, even if that means losing PJ Washington, I think this would be the time to do it. Like in midseason, make the push now. And then last thing that I'll end on, like if you're committed to Turner, whether you're giving up PJ or not, PJ is still coming off the bench as your four or five. So trying to factor in the the play style of PJ Washington and Miles Turner together on the same team. Miles Bridges isn't coming off the bench. Like he's he's your four. So even if Miles Turner is brought onto this team, he's going to be playing side by side with Miles Bridges. I just think that this roster, this team is probably better suited to have PJ at the five with his offense versatility, his spacing. If they eventually go get a lob threat, maybe shifting PJ to the four would be more beneficial. It'd be the way to go. But as of now, I think for this team, because they do lack some talent at the five, PJ is probably better suited to play the five. So thanks everyone for joining on Twitter spaces. Enjoy the game tonight between the Hornets and the Suns. Like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I may come back on Twitter spaces after the game to recap it. But if not, you'll get a full podcast tomorrow regardless. So we will talk to you guys later. Set a new season high three pointers made. They've got 20 in the game tonight. And it's not just the 20, it's the percentage, though. Yeah. They were 20 of 41, which is the real killer. Yeah. 35 assists. And we've seen our final shot of the ball game. It's going to end 137 to 106. All right. So. Just finished watching the Phoenix game against the Charlotte Hornets. Final score, as you heard there, 137-106. Phoenix Suns come out with the victory. It's it's a game that was hard to watch. It got ugly early. There's not much to talk about. I mean, there really isn't. But I did want to get on here and give a 
give some bullet point thoughts before I wrap up the podcast. So shots were just not falling for Charlotte early in this game. Fewest point total all year in the first quarter with 15 points. We're one of 11 from deep. And they weren't necessarily bad shots by any means, just a lot of shots that were rimming out. And I stopped keeping tabs after the third quarter, but through the first three quarters, they were 7 of 34 from behind the arc. Uh, A lot of issues on that end. It's not just the shots. Hayward was struggling at the rim. He doesn't always get the foul calls, but there were still shots out there that he just needs to finish. And sometimes you can see that he second guesses on his drives and he'll get inside the paint and he might have somewhat of a sliver of a lane or an opening to shoot a shot within four feet, but he just kicks it out because the confidence isn't there right now. Uh, One of the bigger issues, I think, with the offense right now is Terry Rozier not offering much right now. And if he's not hitting his shot from deep, I'm not sure what he's actually doing for this team. 0 of 5 from behind the arc, 2 of 10 from the floor. And he's just, he's not doing much for this team. Cody Martin, you guys probably heard the news that prior to this game that he entered health and safety protocol. So we were down another two guard and we were down a guy that was the Hornets' best defender. Not like he would have solved all of the issues tonight, but when he's hitting 50% of his shots from behind the arc and he's playing and, and giving a damn on the defensive side of the court, uh, a lot of times that can rub off on others, but it just felt like the Hornets were sleepwalking in this game in the first half especially. It just got off to a slow start, and it just snowballed from there. The transition defense was was poor. I made a mention of it this morning, but the Suns are pushing the ball at a higher clip this season, and there's no doubt that you know, JB's aware of that, but this team has had issues all year in just stopping the ball, picking up cutters in transition. It feels like they're having to scramble a little bit too frequently uh, when it comes to the defensive side of the court, and especially when a team is pushing the ball and you're matched up against players that you might not normally be matched up and you're trying to communicate who is guarding who. It was a mess. The defense was a mess, and it has been all season. They will literally try anything. We saw some zone a little bit in that first half. We saw P.J. Washington defending Chris Paul to end the half. thought that was interesting. Anything that can stick, I think J.B. is trying it. Maybe there are some philosophical changes that they need to look at. I'm just trying to put my finger on what it is that they can switch on that end of the court to make that much of a difference because... As we've noticed that the personnel and the effort and the want-to is not always there. Yeah, it, it was tough to watch this whole game, but defensively it was just a struggle. And I tweeted this, but it literally felt like this team was practicing closeouts and, and drills. And they're having to cover so much ground because the Phoenix Suns are a good team. So like, let's not, let's not forget about that. They're, they're a good team, but the way that they are able to collapse the Charlotte Hornets defense and the way that the Charlotte Hornets really struggle to defend and um, eliminate penetration, it's collapse and kick, collapse and kick. And Hornets are two, three people inside the paint and they're having to scramble and close out to three point shooters. I guess the one other thing that, you know, I, I did want to note 
I've got the feeling that Ish Smith has at least worked his way back into the conversation and playing a little bit more minutes with this team. Yes, Cody Martin was out, but Ish also played against Portland. Nick Richards seems to have fallen out of the rotation. He obviously played tonight because of the garbage time, but I think we kind of predicted that as P.J. Washington worked himself back into the rotation that Nick Richards would slowly fall off. Um, I did enjoy some of his stints with Charlotte uh, this year, but I, I don't know if his minutes are going to be that consistent moving forward. And really the only positive from tonight was Miles Bridges, but I'm not going to talk about it just, just because of the way that this game was. I'm not going to give an excuse to this team, but if you want to shed some positive light on the way that this road trip was going, I think a lot of people could have predicted or should have predicted that this is the way that it would have turned out. I think the Portland game is the game that they shouldn't have lost or a game that they'll look back on this road trip and say, hey, if we had to get one, it would have to be that one against the Portland Trailblazers. These next couple of games against the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets to round out this road trip, it's not going to be easy. I don't think that they're going to win either of these games. And I guess moving forward, you would hope that that kind of momentum or lack of momentum doesn't hamper or hinder kind of like them starting up a winning streak of their own. So kind of a surprise that I got six, seven minutes into this recap of the game by myself. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it here, guys. Uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in. First half of the episode was from a Sunday morning Twitter spaces in which I took some Q&As there. Wanted to get out just like a quick recap of this game. I wish there was more to talk about, but there's just not. And I will talk to you guys later and uh, go Hornets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.